sister and sister John reading along with Isaac, or, uh, Isaac, Jonathan and Clark tonight. We're so glad that they are with us. Yes, that's great. We love the ministry of the readings, and I will say this. Uh, know a lot of people around the state, know a lot of people in ministry, um, and I would say this if he was not standing here tonight. You won't find a more genuine, real person or people, let me say, family as the reading family. And I appreciate that about them. We've served, we've served on the youth committee together. Uh, we've been friends for quite some time, and I love the readings. I count uh, Brother Reading as one of my dear, close friends. And we are honored that he would choose to be with us tonight. And uh, maybe he will say more about it. Uh, but he has had a couple of deaths in his church within 12 hours, and uh, he is still here to preach to us, and we appreciate that so very much, his sacrifice to be here tonight. We want God to bless him. We want God to bless us through the preach word of the Lord. So would you put your hands together and make Pastor John Reading feel real welcome tonight as he takes his liberty to preach to us. Praise the Lord. Good to be with you all tonight. You can be seated if you'd like. You can stand if you'd prefer. I've got to, so it's up to you. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Amen. I was privileged to be able to speak out for a friend in another part of the state last Sunday. And it was daylight savings time. And... Um, I was able to use that for an excuse, and I hate daylight saving time. Anybody with me? You know that's of the devil, right? You think I'm being facetious, but the Bible says that cursed be who who changes the times. There's scripture for it. It's not of God. <laughs> yeah, it's the devil. But... Uh, I was able to blame my saggy eyes and tired face and all that stuff on lack of sleep and daylight saving time. And I don't know what my excuse is this week, just I'm out of shape, getting old and all that stuff. But it's good to be here, and it's good to be in the presence of the Lord, and good to be among friends. And the presence of the Lord is here. He is here, and God has a plan for this service, and already He has orchestrated wonderful things among us. And Yet I believe he's got more to do. Amen. And so it is good to be with you guys and some of the greatest people I know in one of the greatest churches there is. And so no place I'd rather be than right here, right now. And that is the truth. It is good to have my family, my wife, my sons, except for Isaac. And uh, that's what working and all that stuff will do for you. And uh, he's, he's uh, occupied with that. But good to be here. Thank you for the kind words, Brother Newcomer. And, uh, and it's, it is good to see Brother Lytle, where'd he go? But it's good to see those of us who work together and we, we created as much chaos and havoc as we could. And then we handed it off to these guys and good to see great youth work going on. You have some of the greatest leaders right here in this church. I think that's, that's true. I do believe it's true. And Danny and Cheryl that are here, what a treat and a delight to be with them. We miss your pastor and his wife, uh, brother and sister Jordan, but we do pray that they have a good trip and uh, that they are safe in doing so. Amen. 
Amen, amen. But I'm thankful for the presence of the Lord. Wouldn't want to try to do a thing we're doing without it. Amen. So I'm going to turn your attention then to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and then we're going to read from Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read 27 and 28. We're going to kind of go backwards. Amen. But it is good to be here. Pray for our church. We've had a few losses, and one we found out uh, just this afternoon. And so a lot of hurting people. And we're, we're in a hurting world. Being in church does not isolate you from hurt. Amen. If you thought walking with Jesus was going to mean you'd never hurt, then you never heard of the cross. Because if you follow him, you're going to follow him through painful places. And it's just life. And life, you know, we blame so much on the devil. I don't even want to preach about that tonight. But he can't do everything we blame on him. Some of it's just our own choices, and we, we don't always do the right thing or the smart thing. Sometimes it's just us. Sometimes it's what others that aren't so smart and right do to us, and sometimes just life. Fact is, there's a whole lot of hurting people, a lot of smiling faces that mask a lot of pain. So tonight, I'm just going to come. I'm not going to, pre- to, to preach to somebody. I'm not going to preach maybe to everybody, although it might surprise you. But I do want to preach to somebody. It feels like, let me just sneak into church and hide among the stuff. And uh, somebody that says, maybe in themselves, whether you're up front, whether you're noticed, or whether you're not, I just, I, I don't even deserve to be here. You feel like you don't even belong. Let me talk to to you for just a few minutes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, And God created man in his image, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. Ever say, God blessed. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and for every living thing that moveth upon the earth. I just want to talk to you about this simple subject tonight that even the dust is blessed. Even the dust is blessed. God bless you. Amen. Amen. I want to take just a moment here and um, think about these human forms in which we live. I preached this morning at our church about the blood and that the blood, the Bible says, is, amen, there's life in the blood. It is a living stream. It is a living stream. When you consider the masterpiece of engineering that these bodies that we have are, when you consider the chemistry of the blood, when you consider the, uh, the passageways of the blood and the intricacies therein, when you uh, begin to, to consider how all of it works in harmony simultaneously, the nervous system and how the synopses and nerves and all of that cooperate together to create the responses and all of the information that 
passes through that, that great system, when you begin to comprehend the systems of the body and how wonderfully and marvelously it is made, we, we, we see it as a whole, but then as we begin to di- dissect this human form of life, begin to go down to the basic building blocks of its very essence. And so as we began to search for the smart, smallest particles therein. We, we hear the voice of the biologist that speaks to us and tells us that all of life is cellular. All of it's cellular. When we talk about the blood of Jesus and, and we begin to talk about its power, we can look to its human counterpart and we can see within it there are red blood cells that take away the waste and supply nutrients. And in the blood of Jesus on the cellular level, if you will, amen, there is that part that takes away the sin, but it also gives, amen, life. There are the white blood cells that fight and counteract infection. And I'm thankful for the blood that fights for me every day, aren't you? Amen. You understand the cellular structure of the human form and the the way that its biology works. It's an amazing, amazing piece of, of engineering marvel. And so uh, we, we, could, we could understand where the biologist looks at life, and not just this human form, but all of life, the plant life, and everything is boiled down to a, a, a cellular level. But then we speak to the physicist who says, I think I can go just a little bit further because within the cellular structure of the human being, there are these things, there are these building blocks. Anybody ever play with Legos? There's these building blocks you can put together. They create another substance. And you can take hydrogen and oxygen and and by themselves, but if you put them together in the proper compound, now you have water. And so... Uh, we understand that the body is composed of these chemical building blocks, and on an atomic level, uh, your, your body is a powerful form. They tell us that within the human form, it doesn't matter if it's a little child or an 80-year-old woman, that there is enough uh, chemical particles within your body. There is enough atomic power to produce the results of eight atomic bombs. Amen. Amen. So it doesn't matter how old you are, feeble you are, young you are, small you are. The reality is there is a power within you that is so immeasurable beyond what you think you can do. Amen. And God puts that power there. And so the physicist would tell us that the human form is beyond cellular, but it goes to the atomic level. And then we would have the evolutionist who would try to tell us that all of this thing that we have discussed so far, this marvelous mastery, it's just the remnants of an occasion and an explosion, just just a haphazard occurrence, just it happened all by accident and it all came together at the right time because because of some cataclysmic accident. And so we, we listen to the voices that would tell us what it is that this human form is made up of. But can I, can I just be honest that, that if we go, amen, to the Scripture, we find that it's not about the cellular makeup or even the atomic structure of humanity. And it's certainly not some accidental explosion. But the Bible tells us that man is just made of dust. Just made of dust. Amen. Some of us would like to think we was made of gold dust. 
<laughs> some of you ladies like a little bling and say, well, I was diamond dust. And some of you think, well, I've got you all beat. I was platinum dust. But can I just tell you, we all just dirt. <laughs> Don't matter what you drive and what you live in. It doesn't matter where you come from. Can I tell you, we just all the same old mess of dirt. It don't matter what label's on the back of your shirt. It doesn't matter how much money you got. We come from dust. We're going to dust. We all the same under everything we put on. We're just dust. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Amen. Isn't it, isn't it then understanding that the psalmist would pose the question and consider as he came from such humble beginnings but now has ascended to the throne of his kingdom and is taking his, his people to unprecedented heights. And, and as he looks out of the balcony of his mansions and looks upon all that that is called and considered his and the people that adore him, and yet he remembers that we are just dust and David said, Lord and God, who are we that you would even be mindful of me? Amen. I believe there's a story in the New Testament that kind of explains what David was asking. The Bible tells us that Jesus was there with a group of following that day. And as he was, uh, as he was uh, sought to be trapped by the theologians of his hour, they they, they sought to pin him in uh, between mercy and, 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 and judgment, between the law and, and, and grace. And so putting a scenario before him where, there, where he would either lose favor with the people or he would contradict the law, they brought and cast at his feet a woman who, unclothed and ashamed, she lied there hiding in, 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 in the dust and the dirt, and she fell at his feet where she was cast, and it was obvious that she had been caught in a very compromising condition. And so this lady who was an adulteress that was brought to him, having been caught in the very act of adultery, who the law demanded should be stoned for what she was doing, the Bible says that they cast her at the feet of Jesus and asked what he should do with her. Amen. I don't know. There's smarter minds than me and greater uh, students than I who have tried to assess what it was that Jesus did next because the Bible tells us that he just simply ignored what they were saying. He ignored their voices, but he knelt to the ground where she lay and he began to write in the dust. He began to write in the dust and people have tried to figure out for Years, what did he write? I've heard speculation. I've heard sermons on, on the things that he wrote in the dust. Some would say maybe he wrote and, and listed the sins of which they were guilty. These men who stood behind him holding stones, prepared to destroy her body because of her sin. And others would speculate on things that he wrote. And I, I really don't know. i just be honest. Can I, can I tell you the Bible doesn't tell us and I'm not smart enough to figure it out. And, and, and so it doesn't bother bother me that I don't know, because if I was supposed to know, Jesus would have told us. So taking that into mind, let's think about what we do know about this scripture. The Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote, but it does tell us into which he wrote. The Bible tells us that he wrote in the dust. 
I just, I just have a far out thought that it could be that as Jesus is kneeling in the dirt and this woman whose sinful state was obvious before him and as he begins to write in the dust, it's not what he was writing that was nearly as important as the fact that his fingers were tracing trails through the very thing that she was made of. Hallelujah. I think it's a whole lot more important to understand amen, that the psalmist replied, amen, to his own question, and he said that God knows that I'm just dust. He remembers that I'm dust. He knows my frame. He, he, he does not excuse my ignorance. He does not excuse my disobedience. He does not excuse my mistakes. He does not excuse my sin, but the Bible tells me that God robed himself in flesh and dwelt amongst us and knelt to write in the dirt because he had not forgotten that I'm dust, that I'm human, that I'm prone to failure, that I'm a fallen creature, that I'm born in sin and shapen in iniquity, amen, and so the God of heaven, amen, that formed Adam in the beginning of time and out of the dust made this human body and then breathed into its lifeless self the breath of life in parting to him, amen, a living soul, that same God embodied in Christ was riding in the dirt. When the accusers were railing all around him, he shut the voice of the accusation down and he remembered what she was. Oh, Jesus, help me. Because there's somebody in this house that knows what it is to fall. And there's somebody that knows what it is to be embarrassed. And there's somebody that knows what it is to be ashamed. And there's somebody in this house that knows what it is to be accused. Amen. There's somebody knows what it is to be paraded. Amen. Before the haughty and the self-proclaimed holy. Amen. In a place that you will never be worth anything. You will never amount to anything. You will never be worth anything again. Amen. And can I tell you, my friend, the Bible tells us that if we say we have no sin, we call God a liar. And when we join the ranks of the accusers, amen, we join the adversary himself. The Bible tells us there but one accuser, amen, and it is Satan. Let me just be honest to tell you, amen, there is a great and drastic difference between, amen, conviction and condemnation. Jesus looked at the woman after her accusers had walked away, and he said, woman, where are thine accusers? And she looks up after anticipating the blows of death to rain upon her, and she sees that she is now alone with the Savior. And she says, I don't see any accusers. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, neither do I condemn you. It was Jesus who tied accusation and condemnation together, not this preacher. But if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me to tell you any condemnation that has reigned in your spirit and against your heart, it has never been from God. It's always been from the devil. Ah, Jesus, help me tonight to tell somebody that the condemnation, the condemnation on your life is not God 
continually reminding you of what a fallen mess you are, but it's a fallen creature for the Bible says, I beheld him as he fell from heaven and because he's fallen, he finds the fallen and he says, I want to tell you, I know who you are and what you've done, where you've been, what you said, what you saw, and I'll never let you forget it. Bishop G.T. Haywood gives us a key of understanding to this in the words of his own song where he says, When gloom and sadness whisper, you sin no use to pray. Oh, nobody in his house ever felt that way before. Amen. He says, I look away to Jesus who tells me to say, I see a crimson stream of blood. Amen. It re- Hallelujah. Let me just talk to someone about this for a minute. You say, but Brother Reedy, I, I understand. I think what you're saying, but I, I, isn't there something to feel bad about? Isn't there something about doing wrong? Let me just tell you. Amen. Condemnation comes from the accuser and conviction comes from God. The difference between the two is this. Both are an awareness of our wrongdoing and a recognition and a realization that we are fallen. Amen. But one says you've sinned no use to pray. Amen. That feeling that says you go, you don't go to church. You you can't go. You can't go to the altar. You can't clap your hands. You can't sing. You can't give glory to God. You can't praise Him. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. That's the devil. But let me tell you, con- con- that's condemnation. But conviction says, hey, I know where you were, and I know what you did, and I know what you've done. But here's what I also know: I bled and died, and I gave my life a ransom and I shed my blood for everything you've ever did so you get your hands in the air and you lift your voice and you get your praise on amen and give God the glory anyhow Hallelujah. There's somebody you wanted to worship a little bit ago when it was starting to break loose, but something began to hold you down, hold you back, push you back. I wish somebody would get mad enough to look the devil in the face and say, you've kept me down. You've kept me cowed down. You've kept me cowering. You've kept me hiding in shame long enough. Tonight I'm coming out for Jesus. Psalmist said, God's not surprised. Wow. God's not surprised. You didn't catch God off guard. I'm not excusing our wrong. I think I made that clear. But when we falter, even fail, God's not looking at us in a sense of, I cannot believe that. God is looking at us saying, come on, it's time to get up. Amen. Don't stay there. For the Bible tells us, he looked at this lady and he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. 
We concentrate, we concentrate a lot on that sin no more part. You know, we're prone to habits, and we got habits, and we've built habits. I got news for you. Most of the times that we fail, it's not because we fell into sin. It's not because we just stumbled into it, but you can always trace it back to a pattern of behavior that became a habit that was inappropriate, and somewhere along the line, the line just got easier to cross. And so the reality is, amen, we're fearful and afraid, yeah. But what happens when I praise God on Sunday, but Monday it's so easy to slip right back into the mess that I prayed through about. And and so I don't even dare pray through. I don't even dare try to get to victory because I know that this week it's going to be harder than ever. Amen. And so we get caught up. We get caught up on the fact that Jesus is saying, now don't sin no more. But we forget the part that he puts right in front of it. Go. Get out of this place place. Get up. Amen. Somebody needs to realize that just because you've been on the ground, just because you were lying in the dirt, just because you were lying in your shame does not mean that there's not a future before you. Jesus told her and if it was good enough for him to say, it's good enough for me to receive. Get up and go. Don't stay where you're at. There's a better day tomorrow. You can make it. In fact, you can overcome. Go. Get up. There's still life when she expected death. What Jesus gave her was a life unexpected. So, (laughs) here's the thing you got to remember. In the beginning of time, the Lord took the dust and he formed the body and he made the man and he held it before him and he breathed into it the breath of life. The Bible says that he blessed man. He blessed these creatures of dust. Let me just be honest with you right now why the devil hates your guts so bad. Amen. Because he knows you're blessed. He knows you're blessed. Brother Reed and I don't feel blessed. I've come to tell you, you're still blessed. Whether you feel like it or not, let me tell you, you can live below your blessing. You can live below your privilege. You can live below your inheritance. You can crawl around on the dirt all your your life, but you don't have to. Amen. I've not come to coddle sin, but I've come to tell somebody you don't have to be an addict. I've come to tell somebody you don't have to be perverted. I've come to tell somebody you don't have to live in shame. I've come to preach to somebody you don't have to give in. Amen. But there is a power and authority that comes with the blessing. I just want to tell somebody you are blessed there is a reason why the devil hates you it's because even when you fall you're still blessed when the prodigal was wasting everything he was still a son you're still blessed when you're falling off of a bar stool when you're shooting the needle in your arm when you're failing miserably you're still blessed amen if you're living beneath your privilege tonight It's a shame because even in your lowest state, you're still blessed. And I've not come to condemn and continue to add upon your load. I'm trying to get somebody to shake the shame off of you and rise.
ways to the purpose and the plan God has for you. You're better than that. Isn't it interesting? Let me tell you why. Let me just, just I'm just going to break it down. The reason the devil hates you is because you're blessed. The reason he hates the blessed is because he's cursed. Oh, oh, you see, he was blessed, but now he's cursed. And he hates the blessed, and he tries to put his curse upon you. Amen. But what God has called blessed, Satan can't curse. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. Let me tell you what's, what's important about this. You see, there was a day that Satan met, uh, he met Adam and Eve in the garden and through an interesting conversation, they were deceived and deluded and believed a lie and they fell into sin and they, they, they committed acts of disobedience and they were severed from the presence of God and removed from the garden, and, and, and there were curses that were brought. Amen. I don't see God cursing them. I see God cursing conditions surrounding them. He cursed the ground. Amen. He cursed the things in, in which they were involved. And, but, 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 but he looks at one being amongst them, and he says, you are cursed. You are cursed. And listen to what he says next. And you are going to crawl with your face in the dust for the rest of time. You know what Jesus was doing when he looked at the fallen woman who was lying there in his, her shame? He was looking at the one who was accusing her and he was rubbing the dust in the devil's face. There is one reason why the devil hates you because he's cursed and you're blessed. Amen. And the Lord has relegated your adversary to have the dust of the earth rubbed in his face for the rest of time. Every time someone prays through, every time someone prays through, every time somebody repents, every time somebody is baptized, every time somebody overcomes, every time somebody gets up, it's dust that is rubbed in the face of the devil. You thought you could bring them down to your level you thought you could curse them but here's what Jesus wants us to hear even the dust is blessed I may be nothing but a mess I may be a failure I may be a ranked sinner I may be fallen but while I lay in my shame dear God let the word remind me that at one point at some time in my life that I was blessed and let me crawl out Let me get up. Let me pull up out of my shame and look at the devil and say, I may have fallen, but rejoice not against me, for I shall rise. Amen. I'm blessed. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, 
In the name of Jesus, you precious blood-bought child of God who made a mistake, who made a lapse of judgment, who did things you shouldn't, who did things you'd take back, who feel like you're relegated to a lifetime of despair. I speak hope. I speak deliverance. I speak victory. I speak victory. I speak victory. You need to look at your accuser and say you're forever cursed and I'm just dust. I know I'm a mess. I know I'm a mess. But even the dust is blessed. Here's how easy it is. The Bible says that one by one the accusers let go of their stones of judgment and walked away. The Bible says resist the devil. He's going to leave you. Let me tell you why condemnation hangs around. Because you don't see how blessed you are. You don't feel like you're part of the blessed anymore. You feel like what you did and how you've been has somehow removed the blessing of God off of you. Here's what Jesus, the Lord, said to Peter. What I've called clean, let nobody call unclean. Only God has the ability to declare blessed or cursed. And the Lord's trying to tell somebody in his house, you may be so keenly aware of your humanity tonight because of the messy dust, the dusty mess that you are. But he sent a preacher here to tell you that the dust is still blessed. Pull yourself together. Pull yourself up. Get your hands in the air. Begin to speak to God. Begin to exercise your prerogative and privilege. It's not because of what we deserve, but it's because of what he's done. Amen. That I can lift my hands and I can praise him. Brother Reading, let me crawl to the altar and let me make a snotty mess of myself and let everybody know that I'm truly repentant. You ain't got nothing to prove to me. I didn't bleed and die for you. But the one who did is saying you're blessed. You really are blessed. You're blessed. Okay. So I don't feel blessed, Brother Danny. Brother Lytle, Bishop, Reverend. I don't feel blessed. See, feeling ain't got anything to do with it. You got to understand what blessed was all about. Blessed to us as well. I got a new car. I got a new job. Got the new house. Kids are get on Dean's list. We're blessed. No. No, that's not it at all. You see, Bible speaks about God as one who calls things that are not as though they were. In other words, he doesn't have to see it for it to be so. 
There was no Arianic priesthood at that time. There was no laver of water and no altars, and there was no table to show bread, and there was no holy of holies, but yet the great high priest still was. When you, when you brought an offering to the tabernacle and you presented it before the Lord, before it could be offered, it had to be inspected. It had to be perfect and unblemished and without a mark or anything else. And so the priests were instructed to be incredibly careful. They would check under the arms and legs. They would check under the fur. They would head to tail. They would look this lamb over. And if it passed inspection, they would hold it up and they would bless it. <laughs> Blessing has nothing to do with your bank book, your checkbook, your employment status your address, or anything else in your life. Blessing has to all to do about the priest that is in your life and what he thinks about you. Oh, dear Jesus. Some people think because I lost my job, it's because of something I did five years ago. And I've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And when I lost my job, it was just God getting back at me. Ain't nobody ever felt that way. You got sick, you got cancer, you got whatever. Someone says, yeah, it's sin in your life. It's a judgment of God, and we just cower in front of the Lord. Because if everything ain't going right, it's got to be something wrong with us. Being blessed has nothing to do with the conditions in which you're living, but everything with how God sees you. In the beginning of time, when he looked upon the sun and the moon and the stars, and he declared it good, it was the priest's blessing. And throughout the days of creation, and when he came to man and he blessed them, he was blessing not just who they were, but even what they would be. If you don't believe me that God knew what was going to happen to him, then why would it say he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation? Oh, Jesus, help me right now. Because he wasn't looking at those sinless little people in their perfection, prancing around the garden naked, but he was seeing them hiding in the bushes and ashamed, and he could even bless. Oh, Jesus, what he was saying, doesn't matter where you're at, where you go, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to follow you, and you shall be mine, and I will do whatever it takes to recover and to restore you until the end of time. To the serpent, he said, there's no recovery, but to the dust, he said, you'll Still blessed. These altars are open. Come on, there's people you think you've sinned so bad that you can never pray through. You can never get right with God. You're cut off. You've, you, no, even the dust is blessed. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. 
Harasa Kororiasa Karaboso Kororiasa Karamaha. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. I know how I've messed up. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. But amazingly, God's never been ashamed of me. He's never been ashamed of me. Even the dust is blessed. Even the dust is blessed. Even the dust is blessed. Come on. He wants to take you in his hands. He wants to hold you up in the middle of your mess.